TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tigers football. Here is your host for Tigers Tonight, John Maddox. Good evening, everyone. It's game week, and we get to say that now for 11 straight weeks. Good evening. I'm John Maddox here on the September the 13th edition of Tigers Night, joined by the man who makes all the magic happen behind the glass, Mr. Gill over there, and the best co-host in all the land, Larry Marley. And Larry, how in the world are you and your new uh, feline companion this yeah, evening? I, that was awesome. I thought it was going to be late because my, my, uh, my wife shows up about uh, 10 minutes before I was going to leave. <laughs> And uh, she's has our new cat. Awesome. So uh, anyway, she does a great job, honey. It's a beautiful cat. I cannot wait to get. And, and back. it'll be a beautiful cat when it gets older. And uh, I may stay here, Gil. Is that okay? <laughs> but uh, so tonight, just uh, to kind of set the scene for everybody, we're going to talk about actual football games because we have one on Saturday. And uh, Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star will be joining us at. Probably around 7.30 he's going to call in, and we're going to learn a little bit more about the Kansas Jayhawks. Keep those questions coming. If you're listening on the live stream, use the hashtag at Tigers tonight, and we will try to get those questions. Also want your score predictions and your attendance predictions for the game on Saturday. Also coming up right at the bottom of the hour, we will have the uh, MemphisWeather.net official Tigers tonight first forecast. And... Uh, Eric is off in beautiful, scenic, crime-free Norfolk, Virginia at the NWA conference, I believe. Ooh. Well, I'm not going to go crime-free. Ooh. I've never Ooh. been there. Ooh. I'm not. I've never been there, I'm, so I'm going to well, assume. Well, the airport's nice. <laughs> I'm going to assume beautiful, scenic, crime-free. Uh, Eric will be back, hopefully, with us next week uh, with a actual, we'll actually get to hear his voice, hopefully, next week. So, uh, but on to bigger and better things, Larry. We do actually have a Tigers game this week. For those who have forgotten, we played back on uh well, that'd be September 3rd. We took on Southeastern Missouri State, won that game 35-17. So, um, so talk a little bit as a former player about, I don't know if you ever had one this early in the year, but talk about the mentality coming off of a bye week. It's uh, here. Here's Normally your bye week obviously comes closer to the middle of the year, although our coach, for whatever reason, loved to have one at the end of the year. We would always have a bye week. Uh, well, the last two years, we had a bye week right before the last game. So, uh, and, and so let's kind of draw parallels here. What I think this bye week was like was actually, the first game was actually more like just a scrimmage game, and then you just had an extended fall camp. That's what I believe this was like. So I actually think they're going to treat this week sort of like the first week. Um, because because the first game was sort of against um, an it was obviously FCS team. Okay, so this week I would expect a they're going to go dive full headlong into um, game planning. They're going to have a, a script. They'll probably script out the first plays, etc. I would, that's what I would fully expect. So I think that's what you're going to see. What I what normally when you're coming off of a bye week in the middle of the season, normally what you have is uh, normally you have a couple of days off, which normally you get into sort of a routine. You know, Sunday, Monday's a day off normally. Tuesday, full pads. Wednesday, full pads. Thursday, half pads. Friday, walkthrough. Um, and then on a bye week, what you normally do is you're off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then you go Thursday, Friday. You have Saturday, Sunday off. Then you come back and do game week, normal, normal game week. 
Um, I would fully expect this to be like their first full week. I mean, that's what I think they're going to treat this like. Yeah, I think that first game maybe not to – again, not to – to mean southeast missouri right but almost like a scrimmage correct you know kind of like correct. an inter-squad scrimmage let's see what we got let's put guys out there see what happens when the lights come on yep. because you got to remember a lot of guys that participated on saturday haven't played in in actual games you know and you even said it best a couple weeks ago even the guys that are coming back hadn't played in nine months that's correct. so you know let's roll it out there see what happens um and go from there. So, don't have a whole lot of game action, obviously, to talk about from last week. But a couple things, a couple notes. Uh, listened to the Commercial Appeal podcast earlier today, and they did a great job as usual. And uh, Tom Shad said that uh, Sam Kraft was actually in some of the, not his normal level of reps, but he was actually on the field and dressed today. And then I tweeted out a little bit later this afternoon that uh, I noticed he was uh, listed as a uh, as the starter on the RB position on the depth chart, which Tiger, you know, football fans, if RB doesn't necessarily mean running back in the situation, more like a half, I guess a half back slot. Uh, SB is what they call it in Canada, the slot back, um, where I'll catch a lot of passes. Uh, of course, Riley Ferguson going to get the start again at quarterback. Uh, you know, I love how when the, I love when uh, coaches list the or as they've got the or between Dorland Dorsius, Daryl Henderson, and Patrick Taylor for the tailback position. Um, I was really impressed. You know, we didn't talk a whole lot about the actual impressions we got, but right. Pat Taylor was really impressive. And everybody yes. says, "Well, he he ran six times for eighty yards, but he had a fifty-six yard run." Well, if you take all, if you take that out, he still averaged almost six yards a carry. Yep. Um, he and uh, I know that Coach uh, Coach Norvell is very high yep. on on that young man Taylor, the the freshman out of uh, out of Scudo. <laughs> Can you read that? At Escocia High School in Humble, Texas. There you go. He's in Texas. He's a fast kid. That's all that really matters. Uh, Anthony Miller, of course, caught nine balls in the game. He'll get the start at one wide receiver position. Phil Mayhew, who I thought had a good game at the other second receiver. Your third receiver is going to be Daniel Hurd. Uh, Daniel Montiel got the start uh, tight end. He will start again. Joey Magnifico saw his first action as a Tiger uh, two weeks ago. And I think we've we may have settled in on the on the front line on the offensive line. It looks like it's going to be Tate, Roberson, Kaiser, Lafayette, and Kuhn across that front. And I think that just by nature, Larry, I think you will see a better running game. Yes. If if those five guys have gotten more of the reps over these last two weeks. Well, I went back and actually watched some of the the previous game, the first game. <clears throat> One of the things I saw was they were actually mixing and matching offensive line after the first quarter. I think, I mean, again, you called it a scrimmage, um, and I did too. I think that's probably accurate. After the first quarter, it looked like they were trying to find uh, some mixes and matches. And one of the things that's important to do this is because you will have injuries in the course right. of this season. Absolutely. So so they were trying different guys at different positions. That's one of the reasons why the running game, I think, was a little stagnant. Uh, also, I said it, and I, I was kind of told this, that they wanted to extend the game out. They wanted to, they didn't want to really show a lot. They wanted to shorten the game. Uh, I said extend it out, but I meant shorten, extend the, extend the plays out, shorten the number of plays that they ran during the game. And that was one of the reasons why they ran what they did. You know, and, and I thought something interesting, uh, Coach Norvell's press conference yesterday, they said, I kind of had the same thought you did. Well, we wanted to be vanilla. We didn't want to show a lot. But then you come out with the, uh, 
with the pole cat position right. on the opening on the opening two point conversion. Right, and Coach Norvell said, "Look, so look, we want to put things on. We want to put some things on tape because every minute that David Beatty and and uh, the coach at Bowling Green, Bowling Green, just uh, Mike Jenks, yeah, yeah, every minute and and going down the line, Tommy Tuberville on down the line, sure. Tom Herman, those guys, uh, every minute they have to spend on that." is a minute they're not spending on something else. Yep. And he said, yep. we wanted to put some of that stuff, and he said, we will see something every week. He said, I am a big believer in, in the trick plays, and, and he said, I hesitate to call them gadget plays. They're trick plays. They're designed to trick the defense. Um, but I, I thought that was interesting because usually in the past around here, we've seen, you know, let's let's just go out and do exactly what we said. Let's be base defense. Let's be base offense. Let's run the ball 60 times and get out of there. And I thought Memphis did a really nice job of mixing things up, especially defensively. You and I both noted setting the stands a lot more aggressive this year yes. than in years past. Yes, yes, yes. Just kind of as a general rule, but especially in that first game against an FCS opponent. Absolutely. And what I actually saw was a lot of, of – Blitzing from the weak side, which is something that we didn't do a lot of last year. Basically, when you when you blitz from the weak side, what you're basically saying is, okay, you have a strong side. To, when you line up, you you have more players on one side than the other. That's the strong side. So you blitz from the weak side. You're saying, okay, well, you're not going to go to the you're not going to go to the weak side. So we're going to bring players from that side, gambling that you're not going to go that way. Um, that's a, a a basic defense defensive scheme. We did that a lot, and, and we actually were very successful pressuring the quarterback from the weak side. So uh, I think you're going to see this week. I think you're going to see a lot of blitzing from that weak side, trying to get to the quarterback early, especially on third and long, especially. Yeah, I think that's the biggest departure. I know we had them in third and 14, 15 a couple times. And in years past, and again, this is not a knock on the previous staff. Right. <laughs> he won 19 games over two years, so it's really hard no, to, no, no, no. to nitpick. But uh, third and 19, we're playing two deep zone. We'll give up eight or nine yards, punt the football. That's not this staff's That's not what they're philosophy. Do. They're, they're going to come after you yep. and, and try to force you into making a mistake. And I think the players uh, defensively are really responding to that. Along the front uh, along the front line, it'll be Ernest Suttles, of course. I thought he had a really nice game against uh, SEMO. Uh, at the nose tackle, it'll either be Donald Pennington or Jared Gentry, depending on – that'll depend on – yeah. Uh, defensive backfield formation and, and what the offense comes out in a little bit. Michael Edwards will get the start at the other defensive tackle position. Cat linebacker DeMarco Montgomery still a little bit ahead of Jackson Dillon, who was banged up for most of camp. Um, and then uh, Sharif White, who I thought was tremendous. I thought he was the best player on the defensive side for the Tigers at the Mike position. Gerard Avery, Gerard, Gerard Avery, Gerard Avery Gerard is just – he's everywhere. He, yeah. He's – he is. He shows his skills, and what people don't realize is is if you look at the box score, and I haven't really torn through it to see, but you look at that and you go, well, you know, Avery didn't really have. Uh, he had one tackle. Well, but what he does is he's so good, he occupies two guys. That lets guys like Sharif White come out and do what they do. Um, you know, and then you know, it just it's it's a it's. A guy like Avery is important because he can occupy a couple different guys that can free up other guys uh, to make plays for you. Austin Hall will get the start. Nice to see that young man out of Kyerville, redshirt freshman. He'll start at what they call the star position or, the, I guess, the strong side. Monster man is what we Monster call it. Monster man, That's yeah. what we call it. Monster. He, on a defense, you have to have a guy who can who – can, 
uh, play both linebacker and and sort of a DB. And that's what that is. You know, Memphis fans may remember Scott Vogel. He was Correct. probably one of the best we've yes. ever had at that. Um, at that kind of that cat, they called it the cat, the cat or yeah, the cat safety back then. And right. we cat is now a different thing for us. It's kind of a defensive lineman slash linebacker hybrid. So uh, different terminology. Dontrell Nelson and Arthur Millette, who I you know look, I, he was a totally different dude than well, he was. He last was very year. comfortable in that defense. That's <laughs> some guys are great at read and react, and some guys are just better at attacking. Arthur takes strikes me as the kind of guy who who likes to attack. I'm going to play this guy man to man. We're not going to, you know, play. Right. Now, he, now that's not to say he can't play zone, but he's just more comfortable. <clears throat> and at your safety positions, it'll be Jonathan Cook, who I saw flashes of and saw why Alabama recruited him. Yeah, yeah. Pretty heavily and extremely uh, fast. Yeah, very fast. I think we've got more overall speed in the secondary. Yeah. Chris Morley just seems kind of like that rock solid guy. He just seems like the guy that's going to you know, kind of anchor that defense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, overall, the, the, I think this is the most solid defensive defensive unit, but especially in the backfield that we've had in years. Really, probably since um, probably since I would say the O three team. I mean, just there's just there's there's a lot of experience everywhere, and they're deep. I think that's the big key. They're really deep. Yeah, you can take, you know, Arthur can come off the come off the field and Chauncey Lanier, a guy who's got a lot of experience, can come yes. on in his place. Yes. So uh, of course special teams, no real surprises here. Uh Jake Elliott, of course, uh, the place kicker, the the he's the guy I think we'll probably miss more next year than than anybody else. Uh he he is such a weapon. Uh Spencer Smith as well be the punter, long snapper Trevor Morgan. Good thing haven't called the long snapper's name in several years around here. It means doing his job. Uh, Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard will be back to return kicks. Anthony Miller and John Pop Williams on the punt returns as well. So I, I think the, the name of the game for the Tigers is speed. And, and, and we seem to have that in abundance with guys like Daryl Henderson and, and uh, Tony Pollard and John Williams. Really, I think the, the speed has kind of ranched it up. And we probably only played as far as the speed of the game. We probably played at about 50% of what Coach Norvell really thinks we can do. I, I kept it in the first quarter. We were averaging a snap about every 16 and a half seconds. Right. And, uh, you know, if he could get that down around 13 or 14, I'm sure that would please him very much. Um, so that's really kind of a look back and a look ahead for the starting lineup for the Tigers on Saturday. What are you looking for out of Memphis on Saturday? Well, uh Okay, so you've got a Kansas team, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, but they played a game last week, and, and they played Ohio University, and they lost. But here, It's more than just they lost. Ohio jumped on them early. This was a, ho- a home game for Kansas. Um, essentially, it was 22 to nothing, 25 to nothing, excuse yeah. me, and then 25 to 7, and then 28 to 7. Here's the key for Memphis. We need to get an early lead. We need to get out early on them and don't let them be in Kansas hang around get it get it and in the game early get an early touchdown we don't want to have what happened last year which is where they scored the first 10 points of the game because that all of a sudden now you're playing from behind there's no Paxton Lynch on this team not not the thing is Riley but he's not Paxton Lynch um and we're gonna 
Paxton was okay last well, year. Well, let's, let's talk about Paxton's stats from last year's game. He was all right. He was 22 of 25 for 354 yards and two touchdowns. Now, now I'm going to bet that Riley's not going to have that game. <laughs> now, I, I love Riley. I think he's going to do, be a great a great quarterback for Memphis. But he's not going to do that. And, and 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 it's sort of like when we when we were watching D'Angelo, who by the way played great last night. By the way, congratulations! Did you see that cut unbelievable? On that last That's, Memphis fans were all like, "Yeah, we've seen that before." Yeah, we're like, eh, "No big deal." <laughs> nah, no, but, but what's funny is um, he is doing it at thirty three. At thirty three, and, and everybody goes, "I mean, I'm I'm forty one, and I'm reasonably good at my job," uh, but. An NFL running back is usually done by 27. I think it's like 27 uh, 25 is yeah. the average age out age of a running back. And he just, I mean, that, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. It was just, it was vintage D'Angelo. It was stop on a dime, make two guys miss and hit the hole. Uh, it was just really good stuff from him last night. I'm not a Steelers fan. When he got traded to the Steelers this year, I was like, oh. Well, actually, he was there last or, year. Or last year when I was like, oh of all the teams for him to go to. But lucky for both the Steelers and D'Angelo, Le'Veon Bell missed four games right. last year, missing four games this year. So it gives him a chance to shine. Um, Unfortunately, his performance was overshadowed by Antonio yeah. Brown twerking in the end yeah. zone, <laughs> which is the only thing that you will see of that well, game. And, and when he did that, I, I was my wife and I are sitting there watching the game, and she's looking at me she's like, "What is he doing? Getting fined? Yeah, <laughs> getting, getting fifteen He's yards. spending money, you know." And then, and then the second NFL game last night, the best part of the game was the streaker. Yes, yes, that, that ran out on the field. Oh, did you hear his? Uh, what's his name? Kevin Harlan's yeah, call. call. If you haven't heard Harlan's call. Yeah. He is amazing. He, he is, um, and he even said it was the most exciting part of the night, which uh, speaks absolutely vo- fact, which speaks volumes to the quality or lack thereof yeah. of those. Let's two talk football about teams. some Tigers football because yeah, yeah. that was that was pretty miserable. Yeah, that was a pretty miserable night. So, yeah, you know, and Larry, I'm looking for consistency on yes. Saturday, and and I think running game, running, oh, especially in the running game, and I just want to see Memphis. Uh, you know, we'll talk to Jesse Newell here in a couple minutes and get kind of a beat on Kansas. But I want to see Memphis just line up and run the football and just and just step in and go. You know what? This yep. is our house. Uh, these are our fans. We'll get to attendance in a little bit. Um, especially not to give the weather away. If the weather's iffy, you know that'll be maybe even a better chance for Memphis to really gear up their running game. Yep. yep. And you know, I would like to see you know Raleigh throw twenty to twenty five passes, and that's about it. And just like Paxton did last year, hopefully, you know, doubt he'll have those numbers. But no, if he, no, no. <laughs> but if he can be efficient, because that was the thing about Paxton is the efficiency is uh, the uh, the important thing here. Again, you talked about the running game, and and then so defensively, what I want to see is us attacking them from the start. Do not let them breathe. Right. And, and by that, I mean, look, you're gonna they're gonna make plays. Okay, they're, they're, they're scholarship athletes, okay? They're, they're on scholarship for a reason. They're going to make plays. But what you want to do is limit what they're doing, both on the running game and then also in the passing game. What I want to see is, and, and when I say attack, I don't mean just like full bore, you know, Joe Lee Dunn blitz, you know, 19,000 guys. But I'm talking about attacking from a, a mentality. Keep them on their heels and try to – and you want to take away things that they want to do. Again, we're not playing – you know, this is nothing against Kansas, but but you know, we're not playing uh, Alabama. We're, we're playing a Kansas team that's struggling. 
that's struggling. And let's don't give them a chance to breathe. Yeah, you don't. You just don't want them to hang around. Uh, real quick, uh, as we wait for Jesse to call, Jesse Newell to give us a call here in just a minute. Let's give you the Tigers tonight first forecast brought to you from MemphisWeather.net. Uh, Mostly cloudy skies with increasing chances of rain as the afternoon rolls along. Probably around 30% or so at kickoff, 50% or so by the end of the game with a couple of thunderstorms possible. Please no thunderstorms because that means lightning delays. Uh, High near 88. Of course, it's 11 a.m. start. So hopefully we can get in and out of there before the rain uh, takes takes over. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a complete washout under any circumstances, but I think there will be a lot of showers and thunderstorms. Around And thanks again to MemphisWeather.net for providing our weather forecast this year on the Tigers Tonight First Forecast. You can find them online at MemphisWeather.net, oddly enough, or on Twitter at MemphisWeather1 and on Facebook, MemphisWeather.net. So Tigers and Jayhawks coming your way Saturday from the Liberty Bowl to be an 11 a.m. kick. Uh, Game will be actually on ESPNU. Um, It'll be – I can never say the play-by-play guy's name – Iman McEnany and John Conjemi will be the play-by-play and analyst for that game. Of course, it'll be on ESPNU. Uh, you can watch the game online on watchespn.com. Uh, actually, I was reading through the Kansas notes earlier today. You can actually listen on Sirius Channel yep. 98 or XM Channel 207. That will actually be the um, the Kansas Radio Network call uh, online. You can, of course, listen to GoTigersGo.com slash listen or on the Sirius XM Radio app online, channel 969. So Mike Norvell, one thing to get to here real quick. Mike Norvell, the first coach in Memphis uh, football to win his debut since 1984. Let's see. Would that be? That'd be Dempsey. Right, Dempsey. Dempsey. And, and But to be fair to him, most of those other guys were playing Mississippi and Mississippi State and Correct. And, and whatnot. You know, Justin Fuente, for as great as he was, he lost his right, debut game to UT Martin. Martin. So um, so Memphis, of course, Memphis defeated Kansas last year to slap a night. They had lost 19 straight games to Power 5 teams before wow. beating Kansas 55-23 last year. Um, senior place kicker Jake Elliott has received numerous preseason accolades, as we said. Our schedule is very challenging this year. Uh, so, so what do you think of Coach Norvell one weekend? What do you what do you what do you think of the the Let's make a rash <laughs> snap to judgment on the Mike Norvell era. I mean, less than six months or nine months into it. Well, all right. So let's let's just if how if we're looking at the overall thing. Obviously, you, if you include recruiting. You have to give him, you know, an A plus because his recruiting so far. And I, I get all this cynics going, "Well, he's not going to get all those guys signed." You know what? He might not, but he's got all of those guys to commit. Right. And that's saying something. I think you have to give him an A plus on that. Now, I think he's got an incomplete, obviously, as far as because we haven't really seen him coach yet. We haven't seen what's he, you know, how's he going to perform against, um, how's he going to come off a loss. Yeah, that's, that. I mean, that's you know, you you get a one of the things for listen. I'm not bashing Justin at all. By the way, I thought they came out played great against Tennessee. They just they just they just played uh, had some trouble. But anyway, that's not the point. But the point is with Justin is if I had one thing I would say is Justin following the loss he struggled. Yeah. 
All right, let's bring in Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star. Uh, Jesse covers uh, KU football and basketball. We, as Memphis fans, certainly do not want to talk about KU basketball nope. uh, because April 2008 will invariably April come up. April the 8th, 2008. April, I, I know look, it well. I've tried. I've tried to put it out of my mind. Thanks, Larry. Hey, Jesse, thanks a lot for joining us here on Tigers tonight. Uh, Larry and John, glad to have you. Hey, I appreciate you having me, and no, we won't we won't utter anything about that. I mean, I know it's probably a little different memory here than it was there. Yeah, 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 a little bit different. So, uh, speaking of a little bit different, uh, Kansas did something this year that they did not do last year. They won a uh, a collegiate football game. Uh, they beat Rhode Island to start their season, and then kind of ran into some opposition last week against Ohio. Uh, first things first, how is the health of Montel Cozart, the starting quarterback? Yeah, I talked to him today, and he said uh, he felt great. He actually has to wear kind of a shoulder strap with it. He hurt his left shoulder last week, and the game kind of went shoulder to shoulder with a defender. Actually, it was the same shoulder last year after four games where he had that season-ending surgery. Uh, and ended his season, he actually got a, a medical red shirt uh, after after the injury came. So he says he's fine. He said he was full go of practice yesterday. He's expecting to play. And uh, Coach David Betty was talking as if Montez was going to play as well. So. Um, again, something to watch for in this game, but he seemed to indicate he could have gone in back in last week, but the game was pretty much decided at that point, so they figured not risk it. But he sounded optimistic today. They brought it up for interviews today, so it sounds like uh, all are, all things are go for Montez goes up this week. Good. That's that's good to hear. Glad the young man's not injured, especially somebody who had shoulder injury last year, yep. had to get a red shirt and come back this year. So Kansas, again, we were kind of joking. They won a football game this year. Um, fifty-five to six, I believe it was over Rhode Island, and then last week they they fall way behind Ohio. I think it was twenty-five nothing at one point. Um, so it was kind of a tale of two games, I guess you would say. The first, obviously, being Rhode Island, not a very good FCS team. But what did the win itself? It because you know when you've lost twelve straight, and and here in Memphis we remember back in the eighties when we had lost seventeen straight games. Uh, we beat at the time one double A Arkansas State. How much did tore the, down the goalposts? Tore, yeah, we we stormed <laughs> the field and tore the goalposts down. Um, how much did that win mean for Coach Beatty and what he's trying to get his guys to buy in? Yeah, I mean, it meant a lot. And you, were, you guys were kind of joking about rushing the field and tearing down the goalpost. It was a 55-6 game, uh, a victory over Rhode Island, and KU students rushed the field. They didn't tear down the goalpost. They left the goalpost up, but they were it was kind of a little bit of a national talk for a few days. I saw them talk about ESPNU about, hey, if you beat Rhode Island, which is basically, I don't know if you guys know much about Rhode Island, but I think they were 5-41 and 41 their last four seasons coming in uh, in FCS. So, I mean, one of the worst college football programs out there. Uh, but if you rush the field on that, is that something you really should be doing? But again, KU had lost 15 games in a row, and it was an exciting victory. And honestly, David Beatty was emotional in the press conference afterwards. I mean, he teared up a couple times. He had to stop himself to kind of compose himself. He's a very emotional guy to begin with, you know, cares about his players, that sort of thing. But uh, it didn't mean a lot, and it probably meant more than you would expect from a program like no. Kansas, you know, after a victory over a school that really they should dominate, a school that the local high school team might have been able to compete against. But uh, it, it was a big deal for KU, and, and no 12 season is tough. I think that was the thing that, that David Beatty just kept repeating over and over again, how tough last season was when you go winless, when you hear you know people talk about your program, is everything get turned around, hey, they're hopeless, you know, show up in ESPN's bottom 10 week after week. So it was a big step for the program, but to have more progress, again, they've got to show a little bit more than that, and uh, their most winnable game on the schedule was last week against Ohio, and uh, like you said, a, a game that came completely out 
flat board with not a very good game 10 going in and fell behind 25 nothing at home and a, a hole that was too big to climb out of. So, uh, again, looking for progress, more progress from the KU team than just one victory. You know, the, the record will look better no matter what, but if they keep getting blown out on a consistent basis, I think fans will still clamor about how they expect more out of this program, even though it is only year two under Coach Nick State. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, Memphis, Memphis fans went through the Larry Porter years and before that the Ray Dempsey years, and, and the list just kind of goes on and on. So we, we're, we're familiar with that. Uh, what is what is the is, is the mood around KU right now? Kind of guarded optimism in year two, where you know people really want David Beatty to succeed, but they're just kind of taking that wait and see approach. Yeah, it depends on the week. I mean, after the first <laughs> yeah. week against Rhode Island, I think a lot of optimism, a lot of happiness about you know David Beatty leading the leading the program and being emotional with his players and it meaning so much to him, you know, and embracing kind of all that came with that win. And then I think if you you know here, especially the diehard fans, yeah. I think you guys probably would understand this too. I, I think that there's, with KU especially, you have to understand how the fan base really fits. I mean, there's there are the diehard football fans, which you'll find in any school. Right. But more often, there's kind of the very, very fair weather fans and the okay, is it basketball season yet fans. So, you know, to me, I've always kind of said this the goal of the football coach is basically, you know, to at least make it to basketball season, <laughs> that people will talk about. Right. I mean, no, we, we've been there. The last, yeah, the last like four or five years, you know, the coaches haven't succeeded in doing that. I mean, again, you, know, you get a lot. Ohio KU was favored by two and a half points going into that game. You get behind twenty five nothing, and already I'm getting the tweets at me. You know, hey, when's basketball season start? I'm asking this for a friend, you know, that sort of thing. So, but the the bar right now is so low uh, that it doesn't seem, you know. Play entertaining football for a month, and then you can get through up in Big Twelve play, and nobody cares because still some teams out on the court. But uh, you know, again, that's that's a bar that hasn't been cleared very often lately. So I think a lot of frustration after the last game. You know, you guys talked about the half and, and what happened with that game. You know, you fall behind twenty five nothing. KU. I'm going to look up the exact number because I don't want to get it wrong, but I believe it was KU got outgained one hundred ninety three to four in the uh, first quarter. Yeah, uh, I've got it I mean, right so here. We're, we're talking <laughs> yes. about an absolute complete domination in the opening phase of the game. And, you know, some players afterwards did some interesting things. You know, defensive players, three of them that talked to me had said that they weren't expecting a quarterback run game from Ohio, and the quarterback goes for, I think, it was 115 yards rushing. Uh, keep in mind, Frank Solich I was uh, is the coach. Yeah. Frank Solich is the coach of Ohio. I mean, if you're going to, again, I'm not to criticize coaches, but you would expect for KU at least have in the back of its mind the quarterback might run the ball when Frank Solich is head coach in Ohio. Well, I think Scott Frost is still running down at UCF, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I still got that memory in my head, too. (laughs) You would think you would prepare for for Frank Solich, even if they hadn't shown it on film the week before. And then some of the offensive players have talked about, you know, David Beatty is the offensive coordinator now and talked about they'd gotten to the locker room at halftime and he'd asked the receivers what they thought. And they said, Hey, we can burn by these secondary guys. You let us, and then about the third play from Sherman to the second half, he goes for a deep pass down the field and scores the first touchdown on offense. So the halftime adjustments were good. KU stopped the run game. KU started opening things up and exposing the back four, the secondary for Ohio. But again, you can't get behind twenty-five nothing in the game. You can't get out game planned or get off to a slow start or droop your head when when things go wrong early. And that's really what happened with Kansas snowballs from there. So. While there are some things you can positively point at, is the bottom line is you can't get out game uh, 193. Yeah, it's 193 to four in the first quarter, and you can't get down 25 nothing at home 
against a school that Ohio, a very good school out of Mac, but a Mac opponent nonetheless. Yeah, you know, Ohio's kind of that perennial six and six, seven and five type program. Yep. Our friend, uh, longtime listener Jeb, asked on Twitter earlier today, and I think he copied you on that. Is is Coach Beatty the type of coach to, you know, one of the frustrations we had with the previous administration here? It's actually happened a couple times here. Um, I'm going to line up and run the football. I'm going to line up and run the football. I'm going to line up and run the football. And you're getting your brains beat in 50 to nothing every week or losing games 3 to nothing or 6 to 3. Is Coach Beatty the type of coach that's going to just double down on what he's going to do? Or this year, you know, I saw Kansas once, to be completely honest, last year, and I saw I will see them once this year. Um, has has he changed his philosophy any on what he wants to do? And maybe maybe the bigger question is, having watched Kansas under David Beatty now for 14 games, has he really established what kind of team he wants this to be? That's a really good question. He actually was talking about that today in the press conference, and he said something almost exactly word for what you say. He said, I'm still trying to figure out what this team is. And, again, remember back last year, he was not the offensive coordinator. Rob Likens, who right. still retained the de facto title, was the offensive coordinator. So uh, Beatty installed his own offense in the spring, and so now it has his own, quote, true, more true version of the air raid going so far. So he's implemented more what he wants, and it's still a little bit early to kind of tell through two games if he's got exactly what he wants in his image. But I, I will tell you this about KU, and this is kind of, this is kind of the fascinating storyline for me. Him calling plays and being the offensive coordinator – while he's the head coach, and yeah. KU, as you'll probably see Saturday, has not had a great game management in games. Like, any fourth down decision, KU's going to take a timeout before they decide what to do. I mean, that just stuff like that is going to happen because it happens almost every right. week. But the, mo- the most fascinating for me uh, with, with David Beatty and then looking at the play calling is KU's offensive line is super young. Uh, on the right side, they have a walk-on freshman and a true freshman. A walk-on freshman, freshman and a true freshman on the right side of the line both guys are about 270 pounds, and so they're they're working with a line that is much smaller, much more inexperienced than than you would think. KU has not been able to run the ball at all this season. I mean, not against Rhode Island, not against Ohio. I mean, cannot run block. But the pass protection has been pretty good, and uh, only allowed one sack this year among the nation's leaders. And KU's strength offensively has been Montel Cozart's made some good decisions, and their receivers on the edge. Well, Kubiante, Gonzalez, Steven Sims has some quick twitch speed and some speed that KU hasn't had in years past. So, to me, it's just really this interesting thing because what do you do in this situation? Do you yeah. continue to try to pound? Do you continue to try to run the ball and at least give that element? Or, you know what, do you go to this two-air rate? I mean, there's teams out there. Washington State with Mike Leach, you know, the old Texas Texas team. You don't have to run the ball. I mean, nobody is, is, is saying that you, you hold the gun to your head and say you have to run the ball 30 times a game. So I'd, go, I'd, go, ha- I'd, go, I'd go full hell mummy. I yeah. would. <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, we talked, Larry and I talked about this last week, too, and what a school like KU can do is use your short pass and your screen game as your yep. run game. And um, so I, I'm curious to see. So if there's one guy on the offensive side of the ball on the offense, if there's one guy that Mike Norvell is sitting in his office right now and he's got the bottle of Maalox right there and he's having to take swigs of Maalox because he's watching tape of this guy, who is that guy for the KU offense? Yeah, it's one of the two guys I mentioned. You know, the Kuvianti Gonzalez. He's a transfer from Texas A&M. He kind of made a name for himself. He caught passes from Johnny Mansell his freshman year before transferring. He returned a kickoff 99 yards for a touchdown last week, but then also fumbled two punts. Uh, that really cost KU. But, you know, he's a dynamic playmaker. They call him Speedy Gonzalez for good reason in the passing game. And then Steven Sims is a guy, yep. a sophomore. You know, you sometimes look for freshmen to break out, but this is more of a sophomore breaking out because he had to play the true freshman. 
you had nobody else to put out there. But he's their deep play threat down down the sideline. He's a much better route runner than he was a year ago and much faster than he was a year ago. He's the one who's gotten two touchdowns uh, in both of KU's first two games. He's the one that's going to beat you down the sideline and, and have a pass from Montez Cozart waiting for him. Uh, so those are the two guys. Again, KU's strength offensively is speed off the edge, and they pass protected pretty well so far. So that would be, I would think, the thing that he would be the tape you'd be watching with the Maylock connection would be KU receivers and how the speed that they do have. If they Memphis can get KU to run the ball or force them to run it, uh, Memphis should be in pretty good shape. So um, on let's let's flip the coin now on the defensive side of the ball. Of course, you hold Rhode Island to six points, and then you go out and you give up the twenty-five nothing. But then the defense, I think, really settled down in the second half. You talked about those adjustments. So what what can Tiger fans? What can we expect to see out of KU on the other side of the ball on Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. Well. The thing about KU, again, another young team that's starting to get older, but the the thing that just killed KU early on against uh, Ohio was the quarterback run game. And if you watch, KU, KU has made an effort under defensive coordinator Clint Bowen to kind of fly to the ball, you know, to be aggressive, to get, you know, gang tackle, all that sort of thing. But if you watch the film of what happened to KU last week, so many guys were just over-aggressive. And yeah. Clint Bowen said this before the first game. He said one of the biggest dangers they have with young players is everybody wants to make every play. You know, they want to see their, their face on the scoreboard and they want to see their tackles in the box score. And what you end up seeing is two guys in the same gap, guys over-pursuing the running back when they should be holding the edge, those sorts of things. So if Memphis has those sorts of plays, those sort of counters, reverses, I mean, things in the quarterback run game, whatever the case may be, they can use KU's aggressiveness against it. So that, that's that's a game plan that's worked for a lot of different opponents in the Big 12 in the past. It definitely worked for Ohio uh, last week. I think the thing you look at, the quarterbacks have been better for Kansas, but um, that would probably be the strength so far. Defensive line has been pushed around, honestly, in the run game quite a bit. Uh, the one guy to really look for on the defensive line, Daniel Wise, really stuck up last week. Uh, he had a great second half. And then Duarte Armstrong is a guy that they stand up and they kind of move him around the line to get him. He's their pass rush specialist, so you'll see him number two kind of stand up moving around. The linebackers haven't been quite as good as they hoped this year. Joe Deneen had a tough week last year. He's a local, or last week he was, he's a local kid. And then Mark Lee Roberts is a transfer from South Carolina. He's had, he's flashed some big, big games in the past last year. But, you know, overall, this is a unit that is still kind of defining itself. Kind of, it did pretty well last week when it was faced with tough circumstances with field position, kind of bowed up and uh, only allowed field goals. But again, early on, over pursuit, over pursuit, too aggressive, too many guys trying to make too many plays. And if, if that happens with Memphis, if they see some of that tape, I can guarantee you they're going to try to do the same thing against Kansas, try to get those over-aggressive defenders out of position and kind of beat them the other way. So moving on now to the other third of the game, that's probably the most important special teams. I saw a note from you this week that David Beatty has actually taken over coaching uh, the punt return game. Um, you know, you mentioned the 100 yards for a touchdown uh, kickoff return, then a couple fumbles. And, and, you know, Memphis is, I think we've still got like the longest drought in FBS of not having returned a kickoff for a touchdown. So, um, but you the know, last time was pretty significant. Yeah, it was uh, 1996 oh, versus Tennessee. It's been 20 years. Um, you talked about Gonzalez in the kick game. He's listed as the starting, as uh, Sims is as the the backup, starting punt return and kick returns. What can we expect out of Matthew Wyman, the start the kicker? Well, you can expect really good kickoffs. I mean, the guy is a is a kickoff specialist. He's got a really strong leg. He's actually got an interesting story. He came to KU. Just as a student, watch the watch the games in the student section for the first year, and watch the kickers on the field. And said, "Hey, I can be better than that." So he tried out <laughs> for the team and ended up, 
end up being a walk-on. So that's kind of his story. Has been, honestly, has been really inconsistent with field goals. He missed a 31-yarder in the season opener. He didn't have a field goal last week. But as you know, I mean, unlike free throws where a guy might get 250 attempts at it, your field goal could be at 15. So you can't, you know, you can't miss more than, if you go 6 of 15 and for a free throw, you can forgive yourself. You go 6 for 15 at field goals, you know, that's your season. So really inconsistent with accuracy, but, uh, just to give you an indication, last week, KU had a safety uh, against it, and so from the 20-yard line, you know, you can decide to punt the kick. They decided to kick with Matthew Wyman, and he had a touchback on, <laughs> on the kickoff. So, uh, again, a very strong leg, uh, but just kind of doesn't know where it's going. But uh, oh. So, it comes out a close game, field goal, uh, KU fans will be biting their fingernails down, uh, down as far as they can go, because that has been an area that's lacked quite a bit. Uh, but especially this is interesting because, like you said, David Beatty has taken over kickoff and punt return duties with guys after the K has lost three fumbles this year on punt return. It has no fumbles combined anywhere else. And who, uh, so who is the special teams coach? Or former special, special teams, teams coach? Is Joe DeForest. <laughs> he is actually the old, um, he's the old West Virginia special teams yeah. coach. He's actually defensive coordinator there for a year as well. Uh, but, the thing about that is with kickoff and punt return, I'm pretty sure the receivers coach Jake Phillips was handling those duties before. Um, but it is kind of interesting again because with David Beatty, you know, he took over the play calling and the offensive coordinating basically in the off season. And you think, okay, he's head coach now, and he's offensive coordinator, and then he made himself quarterback coach. And so now they have KU has two fumbles last week, and now he makes himself kickoff and punt returner coach. And you know, it's it's kind of like the fan base is kind of. You know, tweeting to me saying, "Hey, at some point, don't you delegate some of this responsibility, or, or you you teach the coach how to teach the players, and you know, not take everything on your own plate." I mean, I guess you got to give David Beatty credit for this. He he's going to have it come on himself. I mean, if yeah. KU has two fumbles in the punt return game this week, I mean, it's all the blame's going to go on him. If KU scores only six points, then the blame's going to go on him. And if KU is bad defensively because he's that coach, well, then the blame still kind of goes on him. But uh, the special—it's been interesting because I think Joe DeForest has really helped. It's just been tough to see because they've had so many individual mistakes like fumbles. I mean, again, a kickoff return for touchdowns is a very positive thing. Like, that's good blocking. That's good with your your scheme. That, that shows some, some really good improvement. Their, their uh, coverage teams have been really good. But, again, when, when players make individual mistakes like fumbling the football, which, again, hasn't been under Joe DeForest's uh, realm of watching to begin with, then everything kind of gets muddied up a little bit and you're not really sure how much progress can well, my only concern is if you fumble a couple of times, is he going to take over coaching the running backs, or are you just going to, you know, I mean. You <laughs> at, know. at what point does that stop? <laughs> right. So so a couple parts of this question before we let you go. Um, of course, the public face of the program is going to be, yeah, we think we can go into Memphis and win. Uh, you know, we, we feel like we can compete with those guys. Privately, if, if you had to guess – what do you think the KU staff is looking for this week out of this game? Well, number one, it's been interesting just the, the fast start, how much has been talked about with a fast start and how much they've emphasized getting it off to a better start. And guys, if we're honest, you know, again, publicly facing, they're going to say that. I mean, KU fans aren't going to say that because the last home victory or road victory for KU came back before iPads were invented. It was back in 2009 against UTEP. So there's been a lot of games where KU's gone on the road. <laughs> I'll just give an example. You know, I, I started covering the team, you know, with a newspaper in 2008. And so, you know, I, I, I've seen basically, I think, two road victories for KU and basically traveled every single game or almost every single game over that time period. Time period. So 
I mean, this is a dire situation. The KU has not gone on the road and won against anybody. I mean, not a bad Iowa State team when they were down, not, you know, whoever when they were down. Uh, not, not, you know, they played at South Florida. They played at, I mean, they played all these other different places. They played at Southern Miss. You know, they, all these other teams, even mid-majors, they've gone and they've not been competitive. And again, as the 20-point line shows, not expected to be competitive this game either. But I think that the best start is the number one thing, whether that comes from game plan, whether that comes from guys having more emotion. David Bay talked about he showed his guys the first play of the game where a pass got knocked down. Everybody seemed to have their shoulders drop, and, oh, here we go again, that sort of thing. So they're very much emphasizing that. Uh, and then, I mean, the second thing is just, especially with Beatty, is just scoring points. Um, he believes in his offense so much. He believes that he, he talked last week about it being like blackjack. If you just follow the rules, you're going to be fine. If you're the quarterback and you see this coverage and you know this is coming, then do this, and the offense is going to succeed. So, Again, for, for the, the offense to have uh, no third-down conversions last week, for the offense to have no first-down points other than to pick up return for touchdown, for the offense to – I mean, some of these numbers are crazy. I think the plays were 90-43 to 43 in favor of Ohio. Uh, the, the time of possession was 45 minutes to 15 minutes. I mean, some of these numbers you've just never seen before as terms of, in terms of stats going. So uh, just sustaining possession, keeping possessions going, and having a better offensive game plan at least move the ball up and down the field at least to keep get the defense from rest. I think that's the, the number one thing for Coach Beatty because, again, not only is he trying to prove he can be a Division One head coach, he's trying to prove he can do that and also have his offense work at a very high level. So how do you think it's going to go down on Saturday? <laughs> well, I'm never one to argue with Vegas too much. Um, but, again, I've, I've seen – I've it's so tough because I've seen so many KU teams go on the road and just – not have energy and not be in the game, and it's it's really tough. I mean, it's almost like you get uh, jaded is the wrong word, but it's yeah. like your your memory oh, is there. clouded with so many. <laughs> yeah. I can say your memory is clouded with so many games where KU just has been non-competitive in these sorts of games, and and something has gone wrong, and then it just immediately snowballs and never get back in it. So I haven't made my exact pick for it, but you know, if, you're, if I'm guessing, you know, I, I, obviously you guys don't have the, the Paxton Lynch anymore, but. Yeah, I saw the offense. I saw how effective it was last year against KU. That was at uh, Memorial Stadium. I think it was fifty-five to twenty-one, something like that, in that game. Yeah, fifty-five twenty-three. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. I, I guess I would expect probably something about in that range. I mean, KU offense be a little bit better, but uh, KU defensively, it's it, it's probably going to be pretty tough to, to slow down a team. You couldn't stop a year ago, even if the pieces have changed. Uh, this game's at Memphis, and uh, there's still lots of proof for KU on both sides. Well, hey, Jesse, tell folks how they can, uh, especially Tiger fans, how they can follow you this week and learn more about the Jayhawks. Sure, yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Jesse Newell, and then uh, the Kansas City Stars, where you can get uh, all the KU stories leading up this week. Some, some interesting things they talked about. Again, the, the punt returner thing is one of them. going to have a, another article about the uh, offensive line and some of those young guys I talked about, and, uh, you know, moving forward. And uh, looking forward to get down there in Memphis on Friday. Maybe go cruise down Field Street for a little while and see what I can find. We'll have, have a barbecue sandwich. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us here tonight. We really appreciate it, and best of luck to the Jayhawks this week and going forward. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. Jesse Newell from the Kansas City Star, special guest this week on Tigers Tonight. And and I'm used to beat writers, Larry, coming on and, and being optimistic right, and, right. and upbeat. And he's sitting here reading these numbers. And, wow. And I'm just... I'm flabber. I mean, I don't. Admittedly, I don't follow KU football. I had no idea it was that bad. And, and I mean, they they jumped on Memphis last year. We talked about this yeah. earlier. Jump out yep. on the Tigers, ten yep. nothing. 
we settled down. It seemed like I think Justin called a timeout on the drive where they kicked the field goal, or they scored a touchdown first. We turned it over. They came down and right and on like second or third down, Justin called a timeout. They kicked the field goal to go up ten nothing, and then it was over. Uh, from that point, Tigers just really got it rolling. But um, I thought he had some interesting things to say, and, and the thing that the point that you kind of made there with Coach Beatty. Uh, at what point does that stop? Where, where at some point you have to look, you know, and, and I, you know, I work for a small company. There are four of us in our company. And I find myself having to go, wait a minute. Right. I need to right. let somebody else do this and somebody else. And it seems to me like the inverse is happening, which says one of two things. You don't trust your assistants, which is bad. Your assistants aren't any good, which is bad. Uh, you think you're a better coach than you are, which is bad. Um, I don't. I feel like that may be one of the most unstable programs we've ever been around. I, I here's the deal for me. Wow, you, you're <laughs> there's so much to chew on here. Okay, so so as the coach, as you're sitting around trying to figure out where you're you're going to go I, I go back to something that uh tom bowen i saw tom bowen at the um at the spring game and and one of the things that he mentioned to me when we were talking about um mike uh, coach norvell excuse me and 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 one of the things he told me was that how much easier it was for coach norvell to hire assistants this time because the program had had success because there was right. – and they had showed that you could and, – and assistants had moved from Memphis to bigger jobs. And so it made it easier for him to go and hire assistant coaches. I believe what – and I didn't ask this question, but I really wanted to ask him. I think what you're looking at here is a situation where you've got a head coach, a first-time head coach who's never been a head coach anywhere else before trying to hire coaches – and the, the, he's not exactly able to have his pick of the litter, sort of what we saw with Porter. Yeah. And and it sounds eerily similar, it, doesn't very it? Very similar. And and the problem with when 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 you're a first time head coach and things just are just spiraling down, what it sounds like he's he's trying to go, Okay, I'll just do this. I'll just you guys just go away. I'll take care of this. And you can't do that. You have to let the guys you hire do their job. And that's, and, and the and the flip side of that is, Larry. If I hire you to do a job and you can't do that job, I've got to let you go, and I can't I can't hold on to you because that right. that that that's even worse. And and I just I thought that the points were interesting that, you know, he's taking over the punt return and the kick return game. He's calling the plays. You know, you can't as as I'm an operations manager where I work. I can't do the operations and be the operations manager. And I know that sounds weird. Can right. I do the work? Yes. Um, I call it but you um, can't be in two places at higher once. and better. You know, I'm hired to do higher and better things than the day-to-day stuff of, you know, teaching punt returners how to catch the ball, you know, nose down, keep it close to your body. That's what right. your other guys are for. That's, and that's grind work. That, and when you start trying to do all that, you can't effectively lead. You can't manage. That's right. You can't, that's right. you know, as somebody used to tell me, you know, you can't work in the business when you're trying to work on the business. And, and you just can't do that. Yes. And I think that's what you're seeing at Kansas. And, um, you know, that, that I'm sorry, is a recipe for, for Disaster. failure. Yeah, you it can't is. do it. it. It is. That is a, you know, in Kansas, look, there are a lot, and, and Memphis fans don't want to hear this. There are a lot of similarities yes. between our two programs. Yes, you know they had a nice little run under Coach Mangino. 
fell on hard times. We had a nice run under Coach West, fell on hard times. Had a nice little run under Justin. The jury's, of course, still out on what's to come. Uh, You've got the basketball thing hanging over your head, and and it appears, and I'm not saying that David Beatty is Larry Porter or, uh, you know, I'm not here to run Larry Porter down, but it it seems like a similar situation. Look, the numbers are there. I mean, we can't argue that. Yeah. I mean. You know, your only win in two seasons, in a season is a 55-6 win over a horrific FCS team. Right. That's bad even by FCS standards. Um, Let's put it this way. If if we're sitting here – and and after let, let's just take this back to right after Memphis beat Austin P a couple of years ago we killed Austin P if we go out the next week and just get throttled the week after that yeah there's going to be a lot of people going hmm is Justin really the guy right is, is this work is this the way we want to go now obviously that didn't happen you know that that's not how it went down. We went out and we played UCLA and we 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 gave them everything they wanted and then some. But the point is, um, that's where Kansas is at. They just got beat by a look. Let's face it, a middle of the road MAC team. Yeah, and and it's ironic. I I I, I know we're going to talk about Bowling Green next week, but this is going to be an interesting game. Do you know who Bowling Green plays this week? Middle Tennessee. They sure do. And it's at Bowling Green, and I am now. Obviously, it's well at the same time. We'll get into this. I know, next I know, week. but I just wanted to bring that up. That you, Tiger fans need to look at that score um, when you see after after the Tiger game. Well, Bowling Bowling Green got throttled by Ohio State, um, seventy-seven to ten in the opening week. Struggled against Eat North Dakota, North Dakota last week, and then they have Middle this week, and then Memphis next week. Um, so anyway, I just yeah, want to bring that up. It is interesting. That will be a good because kind that's of, another MAC team that you can sort of look at and go. That's a team that's picked around the same area that Ohio is. Yeah. So uh, Tigers kick it off. It'll be probably I think it's eleven oh four is the official kickoff time. So if we go three hours and thirteen minutes in the future, that will be. What's that? Two oh seven or two nineteen, two seventeen? We'll say two fifteen. We'll call it even. Uh, we will be living leaving a hopefully not, but possibly rainy Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium. We will we, we will look up at the scoreboard and it will say forty five to seventeen Memphis. I I had I had forty one thirteen. That's kind of the the feel I have for this game. Yeah. Um, here's the million dollar. How many people are going to be there? I. I think the crowd's really going to fall off this week, unfortunately. Threat of rain, Cooper Young Fest, a lot of stuff going on. 11 a.m. kick, we historically struggle. That historically gives us crowds in that 30 to 35 I, I was going to say 33. Uh, 33. That's that's my that's what I've got. If we get 40 for this game, then I'm going to say we've turned an attendance corner. This is one of those attendance benchmark games where you look at it and you go, okay, uh, you know, some of the draws. This is a Big 12 opponent. Still a lot of animosity towards the Big 12 here. We are not getting into that this week. Um, nope. A Power 5 opponent, you know, albeit a weak Power 5 school, it is still a chance to get a win against one of the big conference teams. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a game that historically Tiger fans come out for. It's probably going to rain. 
Cooper Young Fest, 11 a.m. kickoff. So I really don't know. I'm I'm thinking mid-30s. That's, you know, I said 31 to somebody. It could be anywhere from 31 to 34. But, man, if we can get 37, 38, 39,000, I think, I'll be a, I think, I think Tom Bowen and his crew will be extremely happy with that. I, th- I think you just have to look at this sort of like a um, end-of-the-year sort of game. And because a lot of reasons, because of Cooper Young, obviously. But then also the weather. And then also um, there's a lot. This is a really good week of college football. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people that are go, you know, it's raining and – I'll sit on my tickets this week. (laughs) Well, if you can come out, come out. By all means, uh, the team deserves your support, and this is a chance, again, to show the Big 12 uh, what kind of support we can have against, you know, a team that, A, we should beat, and B, when the weather's not great, and C, you know, come out to support the Tigers. Don't worry about who they're playing. Come out. You know, let's have a good time on Tiger Lane Saturday morning and then hopefully have a victory uh, party Saturday afternoon. What what time do you think the rain's going to start? Uh, I'm thinking the later it goes in the day, the better the chances. Anytime afternoon, I think it's questionable. I think kickoff would be fine. I think first half's probably going to be okay. And it's going to be hit or miss. It may pour down rain at, on Tiger Lane and not rain in the Liberty Bowl. I mean, it could be that kind of day. Don't think it's a complete washout. Uh, again, you can go to memphisweather.net all week to follow the forecast, get the latest there. Um, so it's here, 11 straight of these where we'll have yep. – actually, next week will be a little different. We'll actually get to review a game. And, and preview a game. Yep. Next week, seven o'clock on Tuesday night, you will have the recap of a hopefully a Tiger victory over Kansas, and we will look ahead to the Bowling Green State University Falcons uh, at this same time, seven p.m. Again, if you uh, like what you hear here on the OAM Network, you can go to the OAMnetwork.com. Uh, tips on how to advertise on our podcast and many of the other fine podcasts they have here. Also, how you can donate if you like what you hear and. Uh, Help keep power to the podcast, as they like to say around and here. And download the podcast. I download them and listen to them while I'm driving. A Absolutely. lot of people drive travel. I do that. It's, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of great, interesting topics here. Uh, everything from faith to you look like if Drake was an Uber driver. That's one of my favorite <laughs> jokes of all time. From the uh, you look like a comedy and he show. really did look like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny when they make those yeah, jokes because you, you, you get a picture of the you get a picture of the person. I'm actually going to try. I think this week to make that. Uh, in person over there at PH Cafe. So, uh, for Gil, our producer, the man who pushes all the buttons and makes the magic happen over there, and for the best co host in all the land, Larry Marley, this is John Maddox signing off from Tigers Tonight saying, Go Tigers, go, and we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Tigers Tonight. The opinions of all guests appearing on this show are their own and do not reflect the views of their employers. Tigers Tonight is not affiliated with the University of Memphis in any way. Join us next week for Tigers Tonight. This podcast is a production of Ohm Audio and the Ohm Network. For more information, go to theoamnetwork.com.